Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the physical digital tiny room. I am your co-host for the podcast, Michael, and I am joined by the man who has been called the physical manifestation of the Jungian shadow self of Irish podcasting. It's Benjamin. That's me. Watch yourself, because I'm I'm there in the background with little little desires for tinkering with your podcasts Watch that yourself. you know you shouldn't do. Very good. Watch yourself, because I'm there in the background being your shadow self, son. What? what? Son. What? What? <laughs> you thought Peter Pan had problems with his shadow. Where did you get a load of me? That's two pop culture references. That is uh, the classic Disney movie, Peter Pan. And it's also Jack Nicholson's line from the 1989 Batman. Wait till they get a load of me. So that was a nice little hybrid of, of cultural references. Very there. good, Ben. I'm back in the back in the physical digital tiny room. Oh, you even said it better than I did. That's annoying. Yeah. Ben. Got it. We've had a tweet. We've had a tweet, Michael. Yes, we've had a tweet. Once again, oh. it's a real tweet. Oh, no. It's from Rainbow Smiley. Oh, Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, I don't. Even, I honestly don't know who that is. Uh, and the, the question is, um, what do you make of this Batman wedding thing? Important or stunt? What? Ah, I'm just Wait. really excited because I just read that run this week. So that's, that's oh, very that's good. Incredibly okay. well timed. Um, well, first of all, I think um, it's really important to look at Batman since the 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 rebirth kind of of. The, re- the rebirth where he the significance of Batman to DC is incredibly important and they used to have this debate between you know is Superman better or is Batman better I think in terms of popularity and sheer you know income Batman trumps some 800 ways to anything else because they had the Dark Knight Metal series mm-hmm. you had and that was all just alternate evil versions of Batman yes because um, that's what everybody gets a kick out of because they, they always get to do that stupid thing where it's like but if Batman had superpowers then you get to give him a bunch of different superpowers yeah. and just show how great he is all of the time I have Batman underpants I, I have several pairs of Batman underpants I, do I have mine on today? Hang on, uh, quick I, underpants you, check. <laughs> check no, I've, no. Got, <laughs> I've got little robots on mine <laughs> um, but yeah so um, Schneider kind of reinvented him Mm-hmm. And and made him into this kind of year one combat Batman. He was great. Um, and Greg Capullo took over from there. And then, of course, that had to come to an end. And so uh, Tom King took over. My friend Tom King. Uh, not your friend Tom King. No. Okay. Uh, DC's Tom King took oh. over as the main scribe on Batman. Mm-hmm. And he has done a fantastic job oh, really? on this. Um, in a much bigger way. I'm, uh, I'll get to the, the Batman wedding thing in a second. Because uh, as far as I'm concerned... Bit gimmicky, right? It's a bit of a stunt. It it is a bit of a stunt, but I'm not certain they won't see it through. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, ben, this doesn't sound off the cuff. It, no, it does it not sound off the no, cuff. No, the oh, people are not going to think sorry. that that you really <laughs> didn't know. Is. I had <laughs> no on, idea was coming up, but I'm very happy that it did. Um, so Tom King is kind of taking it back. Um, Scott Schneider was starting to play very much with, um, you know pushing Batman and putting him up against new foes and new enemies and expanding mm-hmm. the rogues gallery because Batman has the best rogues gallery in the DC universe it's a well held thing possibly in any universe uh, yeah and then for a really long time the Joker was missing from that universe and he brought the Joker back in, in two major league arcs that kind of re-established the Joker as a massive psychopath you had the death of uh, the family um, sorry death of a family I can never 
There's death in the family, which is the famous Jason mm-hmm. Todd run, and there's death of the family, which is the Scott Schneider the run. The Bat Family. The Bat Family, uh, exactly. Very good. Which was what the overarching theme and trope was for that particular <laughs> run. Yeah, my, I'm back in the tiny room. First trope drop of the day. Um, yeah, and then Endgame was the other one where the Joker came back. Now, where people felt that Scott Schneider kind of jumped the shark is where he played with this idea that the Joker was immortal. Oh. Um, did he? He played, yeah, he played with this. So this is a spoiler for something that came out, I think, about three years ago. Oh, that's not a spoiler. Anyway, um, he played with this idea that the Joker has been immortal and has always been in Gotham City. Ridiculous. And really only made his presence very well known um, when Batman came on the scene because he found someone who could challenge him after years. Now, obviously, this turned out to be a giant ruse by the Joker. He set up this whole thing. It's a ruse! It turns out that the way the Joker has been coming back over all these years, he has found a secret Lazarus pit underneath oh yeah god so there there you go there you go okay that's then that's how you piss some people off Um, because you remember that in death of the family joker had his face removed Mm. um and you'll remember that in endgame he had it back and no one could figure out how he did that Um, a lazarus pit a lazarus pit allowed him to do all that and people were there going but that's not what the joker is yeah he's just a madman the, the the whole point of batman and the joker is that they're normal people mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin exactly one like had a bad you and day I. and right exactly you go are, on you you go are on. the raging justice warrior yes known as mickman yes and and i'm the the kind of psychotic thing that keeps dead bodies in his basement um ben that's why I'm, you know that's that's how the it bentity works. the bentity hey, oh nice i like it I like it. Sold. Um, but anyway, uh, there was a little bit of kickback from that, but other people really liked that he was so gloriously maniacal. And now that brings us to Tom King's run. Tom King has... My friend Tom King. No, not your friend Tom King. Oh, okay. Um, I hope it's Tom King. I think it is Tom it King. It is Tom King. Yeah, it is yeah. Tom King. Oh, thank God. Um, but his run makes them a lot more human again, and two arcs kind of stand out here. One of them is the war of the joke, uh, the jokes and the riddles, mm-hmm. um, which has kind of been marked as a kind of a new classic in the the oh, batman cool. run of things it's like a long halloween oh, or good. a dark victory or one the, of those the latest addition kind of, to the yeah, the good batman stories to the good batman stories you know um is that joker versus riddler joker versus riddler oh, in a massive good. war and it explores batman's psyche as he's starting out it explores you know why the riddler hates the joker so much mm-hmm. and things like that um and the new ones that are, are quite interesting are are the new uh stories leading up to the Batman marriage um, so it's kind of invigorating it's a bit silly um, Batman has proposed to Selina Kyle obviously mm-hmm. they are to be wed didn't um, she propose to him oh is that how it worked I, I can't remember I haven't read that one I think he eventually had okay. to ask her I mm-hmm. think that was the whole that was the big step um, and now what you're getting is you're getting all these different tie-in issues um, that come with that she had to face off against Talia to earn Talia's mm-hmm. approval Good. to marry Batman mm-hmm. um, she beats Talia because she's ruthless and Talia kind of recognizes her as an equal and blah 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 obviously all the 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 kind of higher ups are like but she's a thief she'll never be good enough for Batman blah blah and Catwoman is slowly just proving herself consistently against kind of a, a gauntlet of, of former Bat Flames I have a question yes my question is is Batman marrying Catwoman or is Bruce Wayne marrying Selina Kyle see this is an interesting one it is being sold as Batman and Catwoman so they're going to have a wedding mm. and but, I mean, Batman and Catwoman surely aren't legal entities. Surely. So, 
are they going to do? Because it's going to be very conspicuous that on the day that Batman married Catwoman, Bruce Wayne married Selina Kyle. Yeah. are going to be like, uh, uh, uh. The other interesting thing is everyone knows that Catwoman is Selina Kyle. Yeah, That's but not a mystery. But not everyone knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. So is, is legal entity and real person Selina Kyle marrying pseudonym Batman? I just want to know what courtroom is going to let them in with all the lads. I know, it's bonkers. Your, your, your supermans, your green arrows. Um, but yeah, so the, there's a couple of interesting things that happen. He's had a lot of fun with this run, I think. There was a double date issue where Superman and Lois go out with Bruce and... Uh, sorry, Batman and, and Selina. It gets very complicated, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Clark and Lois basically date... Uh, Bruce and Selina, they double noted, date. Noted Western explorers, Lewis and Clark. No, Lois okay. and Clark. Okay. Lois and Clark. But that was the pun in the, uh, the I know, 1990s they, Dean Cain run. Based the whole TV show around that yeah. pun. Yep. Went well. Um, but anyway, so they, he's had a lot of fun with this. But I think one of the most significant stories is the most recent uh, ones, which are leading up to Batman 48 and Batman 49, right. where the Joker... Has gotten wind of the wedding, obviously. Oh, he's going to try and ruin it. Um, no, he has a breakdown. Oh. Because he recognised this. He wants to marry Batman. In a way, yeah. <sighs> he has a breakdown. Um, and he holds a Gotham wedding hostage and murders everyone in the wedding to get Batman's attention. Like how you're always trying to ruin my relationship. Yeah. Remember when I held Christchurch Cathedral wedding <laughs> hostage last year and you crashed through the big glass no, pane window? That and, was a dream. And no, 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 that happened. That mm. happened. You blocked it out, Michael. Mm. You blocked it out. Um, but anyway, he has this huge hostage situation, mm. uh, breaks it down, and he has a conversation with Batman. And... You just see Joker unraveling at the concept of a life without Batman. Mm. Um, and it was very interesting because it really marked out their relationship in a fresh kind of rational way. Mm-hmm. And that obsession link that was kind of established in The Dark Knight Returns, uh, that obsession link that was kind of established in The Dark Knight Returns was brought back. Um, so that was really cool. And then Batman gets knocked unconscious. Right. Um, and he's going to murder Batman. No, no, no. Selina Kyle then intervenes as uh-huh. Catwoman. Right. Um, and the two of them Have fight to the kiss. death. No, oh. they fight to the death. Huh. And uh, Catwoman slashes Joker's throat open Joker's and he dead. shoots her in the stomach. Oh. No, no, they both start to bleed out. Okay. And they have this conversation as they're bleeding out on the floor. Oh, good. Um, and they just talk about, they go through all their history together mm-hmm. as villains. And it's like, do you remember that time that Eddie did this? Oh. And they talk about, you know, the Riddler and how things have developed. They reference the famous Almost Got Him episode from... Oh, really? The, yeah. Two-Face gets a mention. He's been notably absent from the Tom That's King cool. ones. It's, it's really excellent writing. Um, but more importantly, it kind of, it marked this thing of, is this the last Batman Joker story? Is mm. this the last thing? And... I don't think it can be. I don't think you... I don't think Batman can ever be happily married. And I think that's the point the Joker makes in the issue. So I don't know if that's foreshadowing from Tom King, but Tom King... uh, My friend Tom King. No, not your friend Tom King. Um, His version of the Joker says he isn't Batman if he's happy. Right. That doesn't happen. Mm. Like, there's, there's no Batman without... Because the Joker knows most of Batman's history mm-hmm. the Joker knows who he is he just pretends that he doesn't because mm-hmm. it would spoil the game because he's mental for him I think um, isn't it interesting that this year the big summer event of the year is a single issue of a comic instead of an event I think DC has to keep trying new things mm. um, but I think they've really fucked their universe up with um, 
not not even no from a film point of view destroyed yeah um from a but from a comic book point of view the dark knight metal the dark knight's metal ruined the source wall they're kind of reshaping the universe mm-hmm. there are now seven new forces released onto the planet no, there's, very good. there's a new form of green lantern there's the ultraviolet lanterns the invisible spectrums of emotion <laughs> like oh no we're playing we're, we're just we're just playing fast and loose with the rules because the source wall uh-huh. in dc comics was the end of the universe yeah it's where god lives exactly and in getting rid of the dark knight's metal mm-hmm. they've cracked the source wall and things are spilling out from the other side of the were source they wall. that powerful that they needed that i don't know i, I mean follow. comic books have always done that they, they always yeah, yeah. move the goalposts yeah, whenever they need to that's that's how comic books work mm. um, and i don't mind that so much but it's interesting that this run tom king's run is always sane he always comes back to Batman as not your friend Tom King. Uh, he always <laughs> can, comes back. Ladies and gentlemen, I can see Ben twitching every he, time he says he Tom always, King now in case I interrupt him. He always comes back to a rational Dark Knight. Um, and uh, that's really important. Very good. In uh, DC. So I really like the new run, but I would hazard a guess that the grander DC universe can't allow Batman to be Batman married. To be married. It's interesting. They're having midnight openings of comic book shops to sell this issue oh for god's sake i I don't that's why it it might just be a bit of very good marketing that they've made it a big huge pop culture event because characters get married all the time rogue and gambit got married there a few weeks ago didn't they black canary and no rogue and gambit didn't colossus and kitty pride oh did they uh rogue and gambit proposed to each other and are now starring in a new run called mr and mrs x um and then can she give him a wank with gloves sure but that's all very uh, soft I gloves. <laughs> I haven't been following I don't where know. they are. I don't know how it works. <laughs> anyway. Maybe he taps into her potential energy and has a sheath of some kind. Oh, of. very good. You'd like to tap into her I potential energy, <laughs> wouldn't you, then, you pervert? Jesus. Ben, let's move on and talk about another thing. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, did you watch Luke Cage? No. Yeah, it was all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It was probably better than the first series. Good. So if you if you were a fan of the idea of the first series but found it a bit of a slog good which I think many people were I, I did yeah I'd say give the second series a go but beware Ben beware Ooh. the first four episodes because they're very similar to the first series they're a bit of a slog but when the villains get going and things kick up kick on kick off kick off oh it gets going pretty good it's pretty exciting oh boy oh let me tell you and Misty Knight gets a robot arm and she she punches some people. It's uh, nice. it's actually pretty good. Uh, okay. Again, I said this before, the major criticism of it is it assumes that you, the, the viewer, are as invested in the lives of Mariah Dillard and Shades as you are in Luke Cage and Misty Knight. Do we get any more clarification on what the deal with Shades is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, he's He was actually probably my favorite character of the season. Mm-hmm. Any any spoilers you want to hit me with? No, I'm not going to hit you on any spoilers. Uh, Well, um, give me something that interests you about him in season two. He he he's bisexual, (gasps) or maybe just prison gay. (gasps) But anyway, that becomes a major plot point in (gasps) the series. Uh, And you know, he he has an arc. Oh. Which is something you can't always say for a supporting character. Because I did find him quite irritating in season one. Well, his shtick is just having a nice suit and wearing sunglasses inside. Which I don't like. But even that... I thought he had a superpower of some kind. And that's why he had to wear shades. Laser eyes. Like, you're thinking of Cyclops. No, I I didn't know whether he had a type of vision at night or something. You're thinking of Cyclops. I was thinking of Cyclops. Yeah. Ben, what were you thinking of? Um, Cyclops. Yeah, I was thinking of Cyclops. But he has an arc... 
Mariah has an arc. Oh, that's nice. Uh, the Bushmaster, the villain, very good, very enjoyable. Uh, some some better choreography. The, mm. the guy who plays Bushmaster, I think, is a better kung fu fighter than Danny Rand. Doesn't shock me. Danny Rand's episode is pretty good. You liked it? I did. It even made it was... Danny Rand quite likable. You see, this is what I heard. It's, I heard they fixed him. It's. I wouldn't say they flat out fixed him, but it is like a 50-minute apology for, for uh, his own series. Do you think they series. just rebooted it? <laughs> reboot all of a sudden? Pretty much. I, I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says something along the lines of, I'm sorry about that. I'm not that guy anymore. And I was like, what? are you talking to Luke Cage or, the, or a... the viewers? Oh well, look... You live with uh, your sins. Again. I think let's give the creators the benefit of the doubt and say that they were trying to play the long game, where he was going to start as a spoiled billionaire, pain in the ass, and mm. gradually become the real Iron Fist. Yeah, okay. And in that case, it's working. He's growing and learning as a character. It worked for Arrow. Yeah, but Arrow's gone off the rails a bit, hasn't Arrow it? Arrow has, but if you go back to season one of Arrow, it was very much a CW melodrama. Season one of Arrow was probably the best of that. CW verse. Interesting that you say that because I found it very, very melodramatic and very CW-ish and a lot more. That's relation- what they do, though, isn't it? Not anymore. Now it's pure superhero madness. Oh. Now it's just it's it's live action cartoons. No, now. I don't like that. Oh, well, then why don't you like the Netflix shows? I do like the Netflix shows. I just don't get around to watching them because you're too busy. I'm not too busy. Spunking graphite all over the place. <laughs> Sorry. Graphite. Do you want to explain that for the... No. The, this? <laughs> what are we talking that's, about now? That's an inside joke that, that Michael and I have. But yeah. uh, for those interested, <laughs> apparently I don't produce the regular male reproductive fluid. fluid yeah. And um, I ejaculate graphite. Yeah, because you're so artsy. Because I'm so artsy. <laughs> which which is halfway between a compliment and an insult. Yeah, that's where I live, Ben. That's, that's where, <laughs> that's where I that. am. That's you where straddle I, that fence. That's what I do. That's how I... straddles that fence. Um, so yeah if you or anyone you know is interested in seeing a freak of nature <laughs> my email's down below just oh, uh, don't use this for hookups right into the pocket it's not a hookup <laughs> Michael Ben in bad news go on uh, legend of science fiction has died Stanley no he's still alive oh good uh, Harlan Ellison oh noted sci-fi writer noted sci-fi of writer of boy and dog yeah have you ever read that no Weird. I haven't read much Harlan Ellison to be honest. Uh, let's just so we people are following us. What's the name of the book? A boy, a boy and, and his, his dog. dog. It's weird post-apocalyptic telepathic dog horror thing. Oh, it's it's gross. Mm. It's yeah, it's pretty weird. Like sounds good. Um, he was a shock writer, and a shock writer. He, he wrote to, for he shock. To, oh, okay. He wrote for he wrote for people to say he wrote that to be shocking, and then he would say. Why, yes, I did. Ah, and, I like know, it. that in particular. There's lots of rape in that. Oh. Uh, lots of raping. Oh, God. Mm. And I think it's been a while, Ben, since I read it. Spoilers for a, a book that came out 50 years ago. I think he kills his girlfriend at the end and feeds her to the dog. Oh. I think. Oh. I don't remember. I could have researched this, but I think he does. That's, that's strange. Yeah, Do you know gross. a phrase that gets thrown around? Way too much in this podcast. Is, there's lots of raping. <laughs> like that that, that, that 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 pops up in this podcast a lot. Well, what I would suggest you, a rebranding. What does that tell you about pop culture, Ben? That there's lots there's of raping. Lots of raping in pop culture. Mm. There's lots of raping in them. There. <laughs> he also got a credit on Terminator. Mm. 
because he wrote for Marvel quite extensively. Yeah, he, he, he was a he was a pulp writer, really. Yeah, if we're being I mean, honest, that's what comics are. Yeah, there's pulp. He he got the right the credit on Terminator because they stole oh, James Cameron stole his idea from a uh, Outer Limits or or uh, what's the other one Twilight Zone episode. Do you know what James Cameron is the greatest tosser? Well, he's very rich now. To whoever yeah, he has fine. his own submarine, Ben. What the fuck does that matter? If you do a podcast in a submarine, welcome to the subcast with me. James Cameron. Surely it would be the Escape sub- Podcast or something. Oh, the Submerged Podcast or something like that. The Escape Podcast. That's very good. Let's relocate. <laughs> That's very good. Let's find an Escape Pod. Contact James Cameron. Used. Contact James Cameron um, and get in the sub. But James Cameron goes around nicking everything, doesn't he? Dances I, with wolves, with blue people. Yeah. Like, it's just... Look, what what is original? No, I, that's that's fair. But I feel like a man the size of, of James. Did you ever see that very funny SNL sketch with, with Ryan Gosling? Go I'm on. not normally a Ryan... Or I'm not... Well, no, I am a Ryan Gosling fan. I take that back. Sorry. You man. are. You're always um, going I'm a, a huge Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling fan. I'm not normally an SNL fan. Right. But I find their digital skits are often a lot better than the weird kitsch live stuff that Go they on. do. Um, but it's a famous one where this man is obsessed with the graphic designer from Avatar because he just stole Papyrus font and used it and nobody's called him on it. So it's this guy who has like a psychological breakdown and goes, it's Papyrus. And he keeps like tapping his, it's Papyrus. Is it? He just has this, pretty much, you can look at the sketch. It's very funny. Um, we may include a link for it down below. Um, it's very funny. And it's just him like having a mental breakdown where he stalks the graphic designer from Avatar. That's interesting. It's very funny. Ben, just drawing back to something we talked about earlier, Go you on. you mentioned that there was a Batman run called Endgame. Have you seen the rumor that that might be the name for Avengers Four? Because they said we're in the Endgame now. We're in the end. Well, Doctor Strange does in his weird American voice. We're in the Endgame now. Yeah, That's and then Doctor Strange voice. Then he, then he disappears. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't think it will be. Uh, I think that's probably just another placeholder name. A little, little bit of hype. Mm-hmm. A little bit of hype, hype. Ben, speaking of hype, go on. And things that we're excited about. Yeah. Uh, what unnecessary Spider-Man uh, spin-off are you least looking forward to? <laughs> uh, it involves a living vampire, which is an oxymoron. Moronic compared to the rest of that bloody film. Um, yeah, because Sony is is drowning um, and losing all its rights again, it's clinging on to the little bits it has, mm-hmm. like water passing through a clenched fist yes. uh, or sand in a desert. Yes. Um, it's just disappearing. Um, and so they're taking... Every like we we've had Silver Sable and a Black Cat. A lot of that looks cancelled now. Looks cancelled, which is excellent news. They should have taken the hint and cancelled this next thing Venom. that they're doing. No, but they should have cancelled that before it even got its nineties trailer, but they didn't. Um, and to be fair, Tom Hardy might do something. But I don't know. Um, it's going to be terrible. Um, but then they've gone and made another one, which is Morbius the Living Vampire, which mm-hmm. we've talked about before, Michael. But they've cast their their lead as Morbius, which is uh, bloody Jared Leto. Now, Ben, is this a real casting? Uh, no, it's been confirmed, I think. It, has it? I think it is a real casting. I but I mean... confirmed earlier this week. Is it going to happen? No, I hope not. Let's hope it does For Tom Holland's sake, because otherwise he's going to get a bunch of dead mice and seminal fluid sent to him in the post. Do you think there'll be a crossover? I... That's very much what Sony have seemed to want, right? They've always But I don't think Marvel wants that. No. I think Marvel is like... Sony at this point is very much like that cousin that your mum makes you play with and share your Game Boy with. You know where you're like, he comes over and he's he's just a bit odd and you're just like, cousin Jesus, Kieran, will you just, <laughs> just, 
yeah, that's great. It, it, and your mum comes in, she's like, go, go play with Kieran. Go play with Kieran. And you're there going, I don't want to play with Kieran. It's like, just Kieran. take him out on the estate and hit the ball with him. He looks up to you. Take your hurl out there and fuck it. Did you have a hurl? I have a couple of hurls. How, how country? I have a couple of hurls. And he's like, just take it out there and fuck it around with him. And you're like, I, I don't want to, ma'am. So you're Kevin Feige. Yeah, you're and Kevin Feige. And Marvel is like, we're contractually obligated. Go out there Go and on. take... So Marvel's take, your mother. Take Sony out there and puck more bits about it. And on is Sony. Okay, <laughs> I got you. I got you. And you're like... You're like, I don't... I don't we're do, I'm doing fine. What a convoluted metaphor. It's it's, it's my property. <laughs> I, want to, I don't want to share it. I know. It's such a disappointment. I really hope Venom sucks. And do you know what the worst part is? Go Someone on. did a really cool concept art poster for Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. Where the, the venom. venom is crawling up the back of him. Yeah. And I was like... Oh, someone listened to the podcast. <laughs> they they didn't. It's, very, it's obviously a very common idea. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was very fucking cool, wasn't it? It was uh, very fucking cool. I I do you know what? I went back and I uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the concept that I came up with where him and the symbiote bond like a boy and his dog. But now that you've mentioned boy and his dog, I don't really want oh, that creepy, to be yeah, the like, Tom Holland film. If that if, I if that was <laughs> if they know. copied it directly from a boy and his dog by Harold Nelson, oh. the symbiote would find people for Tom Holland to rape. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's what it's pretty much about. Yeah, he sniffs them out. It's it's gross. Oh, God. Benjamin. Hang on, hang on. Can we cut that part out about Harold Nelson? I don't think I want to associate it with Harold <laughs> But, like, he, he, he was aware that that was bad. Does that, that make it okay, though? Yeah. I think it was a commentary more than a... About what? About... That you shouldn't let your dogs find people for you to rape. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't do that anyway, Michael. Yeah, well, sometimes people need that pointed out to them by fiction. Fine. I'm actually so... I'm, I'm not even kidding. This isn't even a bit... I'm really uncomfortable with that. I'm, my head's trying to wrap around it. Because he's a telepathic dog. I, and no, I get he, it. He can't, he can't uh, find food for himself. So he finds the boy girls and the boy finds the dog food. That's their Why relationship. Why can't the dog find food? He's genetically engineered, I think. To find people to rape? <laughs> to find people. And and be telepathic. I don't like it. The film is very different though, isn't it? There is a film. I haven't seen the film. Yeah. Fuck, how do you film that? <laughs> right, let's move on. Let's move on from this little, little breakdown. I think this is the end of the podcast. Ben, we've had a tweet. We've had a tweet from... That's another tweet. Long-time listener, first-time tweeter, uh, at Podcast Wanker. That's not a first-time tweeter, fuck. <laughs> and uh, at Podcast Wanker says, In episode 56, Ben lauds Victorian literature and all that has come from it. Oh, shit. He doesn't mention steampunk, though. Oh! Uh, I bet he's into steampunk, fucking Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the milder tweets we've had. That's, on that's quite mild. Right that, yeah. that didn't. That that wasn't actually very impersonal. The, yeah. the, that that didn't assassinate my character in any way. Not at all. So I'd love to find out who longtime listener, uh, frequent tweeter, podcast wanker is. We'll never know. We've had our suspicions. No. Um, occasionally, I'm not in town, and someone sounding very like him pops onto the podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, anyway. Go on. Uh, the reason that it wasn't mentioned, podcast wanker, mm-hmm. um, is because I fucking hate steampunk. Oh, very interesting. Um, so, I mean, admittedly, in the strange, monstrous personality that you've draped onto my <laughs> skeleton in your head, um, it, I would be a steampunk yeah, fan. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? In, in your head. Yeah. But I don't want to have anything to do with anything in your head, to be honest, at podcast wanker. Yeah. Um, and luckily for me, I fucking hate steampunk. Here's the thing, Ben. 
I think I hate steampunk as well. But then when we were preparing for this episode, because oh, no. as you know, that was not... No, no, don't worry. I haven't decided I oh, like no. steampunk. But the thing was, as I was looking through some steampunk for this episode, I couldn't really figure out exactly why I hate steampunk. I think it's just the fun thing to hate. I can think of other reasons to hate All right, steampunk. go on. Go on, um, let's turn the podcast into a cesspool of negativity. Not necessarily. Um, so, a couple of weeks ago, we talked, or no, last week, uh, we talked about the Victorian influence on literature. And for the, for the most part, it's had a very positive effect on literature in several ways and, and helped to shape a lot of what we do. We will talk a bit more about the positive aspects later, but since we started with steampunk, sure, we may as well lean on let's, in there. Let's, let's lean in. Um, so, steampunk pre- predominantly comes from Jules Verne. Um, and H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, to a large degree, would have influenced the aesthetic of team right. of steampunk. Although um, they weren't necessarily steampunk writers. No, they weren't steampunk writers at all. God, no. Sorry, I take that back. Um, <laughs> no, God. Steampunk would have would have grown a lot more out of the cheap weekly magazines or the beginning of the pulp genre. I guess you could right. look at. You used to have these fantastic covers back in the Victorian era where it was like big spacemen and you know the huge towering tripod mm-hmm. men of hg wells's kind of thing yes and that became very popular and so as that went along um moving into the 20th century um this kind of subgenre grew up where um you had these fantastical stories and it became very common to have modern technology anachronistically put in to uh, Victorian narratives or whatever and the way you would justify that is um, because he was a genius and he found out a way to do it with steam steam um, so so my gripe with steampunk from a non-aesthetic point of view is that it's a lazy way to give your past characters future tech um, and that's what I have an issue with in that regard right um, I think it just annoys me from an aesthetic point of view I think it's kind of shitty. It's just visual noise a lot of the time. Oh my um, god, that's so harsh. I think a lot of people are like, oh, look at all the, the clockwork mechanisms and oh, look at the old-timey Victorian stuff. Just dress up as a Victorian. You don't need to stick a bunch of fucking broken cogs on you. Oh, so right. So what you're saying is it's the cosplayers that you hate. No, no, not, not so even. But I would like to point out uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has a fantastic kind of... There's there's three episodes where they meet a famous science fiction writer or fantasy writer, kind of modeled after George Orwell Martin, and Terry Crews' character is obsessed with this guy, and so is uh, Jake Peralta, Adam oh, Sandberg's Andy Sandberg's character, uh, and they meet him. But at one of them, uh, the female detective Rosa has to go undercover, um, at and there's a lot of steampunk cosplayers and she's like how do I go undercover and Jake just turns around and says you just stick a pair of goggles on you already wear a black leather jacket and tight pants you look like every female steampunk character ever and she does exactly that and fits in perfectly because she's wearing a pair of goggles very good um no, I think in general, that's a fantastic doodle. Um, <laughs> it's a tripod. He's doodling a tripod, uh, vaporizing someone. And definitely. my favorite part of it is definitely the vaporized yeah. skeleton. It's, it's pretty just decent. great. Um, it's great. Um, and that should definitely be the logo for the podcast. Um, <laughs> we should definitely stick that up at some point. Um, what are you saying? But generally, I find it's very repetitive. I find there's a lot of... of I'm looking here and you have a Scott J. Campbell uh, Danger Girl sketchbook. I do. On your shelf. Yeah. Scott J. Campbell loves an L. J. Scott Campbell. J. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Of course you are. Because <laughs> um, you have his bloody sketchbook. Um, but he uh, is a big fan of steampunking things up. Um, I think there's a weird fetish with steampunk, especially when it comes to women. They like this idea of a Victorian woman. There's no such thing as a weird fetish, Ben. Uh, fair enough. It's just a fetish. No kink shaming on this podcast, eh? <laughs> yeah. um, Lady Mechanica is a great example of that. It's a very badly written, mm-hmm. quite intricately drawn, but it reminds me of the heavy render style from the 90s. And right. a lot of the guys, like Mark Silvestri and stuff like that, do a lot of steampunk work because it suits that intricate over overdrawn this is off the top of my head so i'm not going to remember it very well but wasn't there a line of comics from the early 2000s it was an effort by a comics company to launch a new universe of comics Mm. and they were all set on different planets in the same system and linked together somehow and one of them was steampunky oh Oh, the listeners might be able to help us with that one what was it called the solace universe or something and there was a Oh, huh. that's interesting. That so, uh, if anyone knows what that's called from that loosely, yeah. <laughs> loosely strung together description, that would be amazing. Um, please let us know down below. We'd we'd love to know. Uh, no, I think, like I said, for me, it's lazy writing a lot of the time, where it's like, oh, he's a genius and he figured it out, and now he has a laser With gun steam. that works on steam. But what about Wild Wild West? One of your favorite movies and favorite movie of the podcast? Uh, what is a favorite movie of the podcast? But not for the reasons you'd think. Um, I think that's a great example of steampunk gone wrong. Uh-huh. Um, giant mechanical spiders, just, just no. Although that was famously that mad producer who wanted to put giant who spiders had in a, everything. Who had a giant spider fetish, which yeah. wasn't weird. No, no, there's no thing. weird fetishes. Um, but I, I think a great example of that is where you push it too far. For example, Kenneth Branagh's character in That Survives cut from, from just below the ribcage. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't survive that today. He wouldn't survive that today. You Let can, alone. You can't survive without any of your lower internal organs. Yes, you can. People can't see what you're doing, man. <laughs> you can hear that. Oh, you can. You can pick it up. That noise is me fashioning a midriff section away yeah. from myself you could be stuck on tank treads or something no okay yeah that's fair enough no yeah. um oddly enough it's funny that steampunk is kind of uh a proto run of cyberpunk which we are big fans of mm. on the thing but what i like about cyberpunk is there's no anachronism there it's the future so you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. and i find that cyberpunk is often much better written and has much stronger themes very often when you read um, steampunk fiction you get kind of the genius male lead character who's a scientist and runs around I think China Mavier is a good example of of this uh, China Mavier I think that's how you pronounce his name I'm not entirely certain he wrote things like I always Brit- said Melville uh, yeah because there's no L that's the thing not? until the end of the word oh that's the weird thing. I get caught out in it all the time so I've read a couple of things by him uh, particularly Perdido Street Station um, and The Last Days of New Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loves the steampunk aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I find with that is he, he likes an old mad scientist arc and he loves to shove a mad scientist in with some steampunk stuff. Um, and it's great for world building and stuff like that. He's mm-hmm. very much the J.R. Tolkien of long, meandering kind of city descriptions, mm-hmm. like every blade of grass or every piece of dust having sure. a name um, and have, coming from a long line of pieces of dust. Perhaps, yeah. um, Balathic son of Balathmore um, you know the speck of dust that roamed the seven hills of Moglodif you know that kind of thing that's pretty convincing um, yeah um, and I don't like his stuff because mm-hmm. his characters are very much 
I suppose if you want to look at Jungian archetypes, they're all Jungian archetypes, but he doesn't really flesh them out all that much. And he gets away with it because he builds a big world using various aesthetics. Wasn't the character that we both enjoyed very recently, Sherlock Frankenstein, a steampunk-esque character? He's definitely steampunk-esque, um, but I think he advances to a whole... Give us a look at him there. He's there behind you. Uh, where are we? Oh, there he is. Yeah, give us a look at him. We'll stick a picture of him in the thing. Absolutely. No, um, he's, he's, not, oh, he's pretty steampunk. He's very steampunky. He is he's very steampunky. He's got goggles on. He's got a he's got some goggles. scarf. Yes, I suppose. He's got an old-timey gun. He also flies around with a helicopter yoke. Yeah. Well, I guess he's steampunky. Yeah. Oh, nuts. He's got, he's got a big old bloody tripod walker machine. Well, I suppose... I, I think that maybe that's what annoys me more. I think maybe when you make a Victorian character, you tend to just slap steampunk on them. Right. And that's how they, you know... That's how you identify your Victorian characters with a bit of steampunk. Mm. And I just don't think it's necessary, because I think if you read stuff like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you can give them great costumes with bloody normal Victorian wear. I don't think you need steampunk to mark your character out as a thing. But you're absolutely right, Michael. He's very steampunk. That feels very nice. It's a very it's nice a lovely, matte cover. Yeah, it's a nice cover. Very nice matte cover. Look, Ben, we cannot extol the virtues of uh, Sherlock Frankenstein and the Black Hammer universe by Jeff Lemire enough. Enough. Yeah, we love him. Ben, I meant to pick oh. up totally unrelated here a little bit of a diversion Uh, I meant to pick up The Century Number 1 by Jeff Lemire last Ah. week but I forgot I left it in the shop so I haven't read it nerds but Jeff Lemire doing a character who has mental problems and experiences break from reality we've never heard of that before in Jeff Lemire's work very exciting isn't it Mm. it's very exciting so I'm very much looking forward to that I think it could be a modern classic I read another Jeff Lemire thing this week what did you read Gideon Falls oh we'll talk about that at the end we need to talk about Victorian sorry we're going back to Victorian so for me, steampunk seems a lazy way to kind of reference a former mm-hmm. era and it's an easy way to mark a character out as a genius without making him do anything clever. It's like, okay. oh, he figured out how to work steam in different ways. Look at him go. Woohoo. Um, it's just, I, I so don't. you're saying it's the olden day version of Stan Lee just saying, he's a mutant. He knows how to work steam, folks. And he turns it into fantastical machines. Any more examples of a good Victorian thing? Uh, yeah, so um, we here at the podcast are huge fans of the Sandman. Um, huge fans of the Sandman. Still can't find my Sandman comics. That's depressing. Mm. You should definitely get on that. Parents have um, them, probably. They're selling them off. That's how they're paying for the mortgage. Ah, damn them. So they're paying for the mortgage. Um, but uh, yeah, so Neil Gaiman is massively influenced by the Sandman. Um, he's massively influenced, or sorry, massively influenced by the Victorian era. He's massively influenced by any form. He's he's also very influenced by the the Gothic era, which came mm-hmm. just before uh, the Victorian era. Um, if you look at Morpheus as a character, um, he's very much the tall, dark, brooding stranger yeah. that is features in most gothic novels For sure. and then uh, going on from there there is a fantastic collection of essays oh. called the sandman papers oh very um, good um which is by a series of academics and i happen to have it of course i do of course i did look at me i went to college college boy i couldn't uh, i couldn't leave it out folks it has to go in the podcast every week uh but there are a fantastic couple of ones ben, i'm just going to interrupt you there so that everyone knows i also went to college yeah but you didn't you didn't study tropes you did something useful. <laughs> something real. You did something real. <laughs> um, Let's move on. This, this, this is no place for real things, Michael. Uh, it's two grown men talking about bloody comic books. That's true. Less than that. Um, so, yeah. He kind of... I think one of the heavier influences is obviously the Penny Dreadfuls. A lot mm-hmm. of it is horror and, and that kind of thing. What are we talking about again? Sandman. 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 Yeah, yeah, and that sorry. inspired a lot of that. Um, but more importantly, um, in a lot of Victorian novels, and one of the tropes that really... 
um, picked up in a lot of the Sandman stuff was the need for retribution and revenge, justice oh. and, and the balancing of the scales. Go on. People in Victorian novels meet grisly ends all the time. Good. Um, Sometimes a ghost gets them. Yeah, exactly. And very often they don't necessarily deserve that grisly end, but they seem to suffer anyway. Good. Um, one of the big... Uh, characters that was quite popular in Victorian literature was Pan, the god Pan. Yeah, I know who he um, is. The, the, the Greek guy, the forest guy. Yeah, the big forest guy. Yeah, he the horns. features in quite a few novels. Usually he has his willy dangling out. Yeah, he loves yeah. now willy dangling. He's a sex god. Goat's legs. Yeah, he's got goat legs. He's yeah. a big, big, bloody satyr big, kind of horny, character. Big, horny, goat-legged guy. Big, horny, goat Not to be confused with Satan, he is a, a pagan god. Or Kurinos, uh, the oh? Celtic god of the hunt who looks mm. somewhat similar. Mm. I didn't know that. Mm. There you go. There you go. Michael's been reading a little Celtic mythology in his spare time. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, he often appears and no one can can combat him or stop him, and he gets to have his wicked way with whatever mm-hmm. he goes about. Morpheus, very much in his early run, before he's trapped in the sphere for a hundred years. Is it a hundred years? It's a, it's a snow globe, isn't it? I don't know what he's trapped. He's trapped in some kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A Victorian kind of occult figure, a bit like Alistair Crowley or mm-hmm. something like that, traps him. So, I mean, even the setting of Sandman from the very beginning is is when Victorians are dabbling in occultism sure. and they find out things and they find a way to trap one of the seven endless and he gets trapped for a hundred years. Uh, and during that time, he kind of mellows out. Before mm-hmm. that, he's very much an Old Testament kind of Morpheus mm-hmm. and he has his wicked way with people whenever he feels like it. He punishes uh, a famous Babylonian... Is she a princess, queen? She's Egyptian. Uh, he sends her to hell because she displeases him by, I think, falling out of love with him. So he sends her to hell. That's why most women... Um, no, I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thanks for saving the podcast there. Um, but yeah, he is very much uh, a form of kind of unfair punishment and just so he's very much shaped by that uh-huh. um, and then more importantly uh, Neil Gaiman kind of played with the stereotypes that were given to us by the Victorian era so Orientalism we've spoken about before in, in this particular topic Orientalism is fascinating and a guy in the Victorian era called Edward Said he's kind of famous for, re- for writing a famous deconstruction of the Orientalist stereotype so mm-hmm. he it's called Orientalism it's very very simple and the key thing that you need to understand about all of that is that the way that the East was perceived especially coming towards the end of the Victorian era, was very much the way that Western people wanted to see it. So it wasn't a very realistic depiction of... Yeah, exactly. That kind of racist crap that you get everywhere. The depiction before the Victorian era of the Orient... Mm -hmm was very much opulent and filled with perfumed smoke mm-hmm. and spices and mystical yes. kind of stuff like that. Everyone had a lamp. Yeah, uh, opium everyone, dens. Yeah, opium dens, the whole night. And that is, that's how it wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. There are two fantastic stories in the Sandman era that take Edward Said's deconstruction uh, in the Victorian times to a very logical conclusion. They are Soft Places and... Oh, I have it written down. Um, soft Places and Ramadan. There are two stories where... Uh, dream or Morbi- Morpheus mm-hmm. has to visit the dream concept of the Orient from the Victorian era. So oh, he kind of crosses into that perception of mm-hmm. the Orient. Um, and while he's talking to someone in that perception, um, Neil Gaiman is intercutting it with the actual Middle East at the time of publishing. Mm-hmm. So you follow a little girl going around the rubble of her 
town, your Assyria or an Iraq. It would have been Iraq at the time, probably. But uh, now it would probably be Assyria. And you have this juxtaposed thing. The character that he's talking to is very opulent. He's very over the top. He's very mysterious and thing. And then you get snapped back to this really grey, muted, uh, modern Baghdad, mm-hmm. and this little girl who's just trying to find food or something. It's a fascinating way of kind of uh, continuing that. That's soft places, is thing. Uh, I think it's soft places. Yeah, is oh. that one? And then Ramadan is the other one, and that's where he deals with those characters, that perception again. Um, and he has to become very pompous and very opulent to actually be accepted in this realm. So it's really, really interesting. Oh, interesting. Ben, have you ever read The Authority? I have read The Authority. Love an authority. Ben, speaking for, as I am, as less of a person who knows what you're going on about, about Victorian <laughs> literature. Thanks. Uh, what do you think about the, the aliens in the second run? Second run. The second arc? Yeah. Is it the second arc? It's the second arc, yeah. First arc, First arc is the Gamora. circle. Yeah. yeah, the circle. And then the second arc is the Victorian. Are they Victorians, Ben? They're, okay, Let, so... You explain it. We, we've talked about steampunk. Unfortunately, it's crept its way into the authority. If you take a look at the second arc, mm-hmm. where we get a little bit more backstory on Jenny Sparks, Very spirit good. of the 20th century, that kind of thing, we understand that she is a dimension hopper on occasion. Yeah. And she's betrothed to a, a member of... Uh, kind of big evil race uh, called the Blue mm. um, and she they were in peace talks at one point is Jenny Sparks from our dimension I can't remember she is but she went to this alternate dimension mm. where the Blue were these posh aliens yes who had made contact with humanity in the 1890s or yeah. something is when they made contact yeah. And then they came through multiple times. I think they ended one of the world wars by spilling poisonous gas through the rift or something. I, I, it's all very vague. But here, hand me down that comic while, anyway, while you talk. Uh, which one am I handing you down? The authority. Oh, I have, I mean, there it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. The absolute authority. Yeah. Um, well, rather interestingly, the blue are simply Imperial Britain in the Victorian era uh, brought to their logical conclusion. So they're a modern Victorian Britain. Um that's blue. Um, <laughs> and rather interestingly, they are obsessed with the same things that many Victorian scientists and um, aristocracy were obsessed with. They are obsessed with categorization. They are obsessed with genetic experiments. They are obsessed true. with um, basically colonizing just about everything with a pulse. Um, now, rather interestingly... A lot of rape in that. There's too. a lot of rape in that. They have rape camps yeah. um, in that. That, I think, is more of a throwback to modern dictatorship. But you can see, like, even from the imagery that you're flicking through there, there, there are bombardiers and cavalry in full British regalia. Mm-hmm. And this, this would have been at a time where uh, England was really enjoying its reputation as the greatest naval force on the planet. Mm. Um, and the blue are very much a naval force in space. It's a similar principle. Everyone's on a ship and it has to be run the same way. Um, um, but they're kind of shown, they're kind of bastions of rationality because that's what the Victorian era was really obsessed with, was being rational and scientific about everything. Mm-hmm. And then they extrapolate that concept into a very modern thing. So they have all the tech, they have all the, they have all the tech, they have all the kind of advancement that we have, but they're still following that imperial colonial mindset and trying to expand um, and that corruption of aristocracy can be seen in the form of the high commander of the Blue Empire, who's just a vile, evil kind of man. Yeah, real um, bloke. And he he kind of um, 
embodies that British superiority where he feels it's his right because he's the stronger of the he feels it's his right because he's the strongest one there um that very much mimics kind of how England especially in the Victorian era interacted with Africa mm-hmm. where they had the Gatling gun right and Africans had spears and shields and shields and, and shouting it was almost kind of their right to civilize other countries right because they had technology because they had this the same way that they did with India i suppose around that time where they had that right to kind of put it under their boot heel and because you, they were the more superior race. Do you think the whole blue thing is Warren Ellis's critique of that? Obviously? Oh, I think it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. I don't think Warren Ellis holds any... I think what's interesting for me with people like Warren Ellis and Grant Morrison and, and Alan Moore is I think they're very much influenced by it because it would have been the fiction of their childhoods. Mm-hmm. Very much like Victorian narratives were still quite strong back in the 50s and, and 60s and, and 70s. It would have changed. They would have had the sci-fi revolution in the 60s or whatever. Sure. But, you know, those Victorian narratives were standards at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also as they've grown older, especially Grant Morrison, who's Scottish, he probably has quite a bone to pick with, with that Victorian mindset. Um, and the Scottish were, for lack of a better term, just a great um, ally to have that didn't really have much power at the time. Um, I think that's famously kind of um, embolized by the the royal seal, where you see the unicorn, the the lion, and the I can't remember. You you're much better at that seal than I am. Can you do you want to the, break the down real the real world one? Yeah, with the unicorn. Well, there's the unicorn in and the, the lion. Chain. The unicorn is Scotland, and the lion is, is yeah, England. The unicorn in the chain and the logic behind that. The the whole thing about a wild unicorn is the. Is, a wild unicorn wild is a fierce unicorn and is fierce and dangerous and uh, terrifying, but a tame unicorn is a loyal friend and and confidant and yeah. Whereas Scotland. any Scotsman that looks at that goes, "Hey, that's when they put us in chains, isn't it?" <laughs> um, bloody bastards! Not, um, not any Scotsman, any Scottish nationalist, any Scottish, any Scottish nationalist would would look at it and go, "Hey, yeah, that a chain, that's a great way to be my pal." <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so I think he definitely has an outside perspective but I think people like Warren Ellis and, and Alan Moore are definitely critiquing when they do these kinds of things I think they're definitely looking at at how much damage their empire did at one point mm-hmm. um, and I don't think you can argue that the, the Victorian empire was a good thing it was very much the decline of the great British empire um, and it was everything bad that would come with the decline of an empire mm-hmm. uh, losses of control, losses of things like that you could look at much of the kind of retraction of the colonies and things like that as perhaps an America leaving Iraq in the midst of a, a revolution. If you're looking for a modern... It's interesting that you say that because since we've been having this discussion over the last two weeks, I've been thinking about how world events have um, influenced pop culture in other ways. And I was thinking mm-hmm. recently, you this whole idea inspired this whole thought, mm-hmm. but... Wasn't it amazing how in the early... Two, it's starting to change now. Yeah. But in the early 2000s, post 9-11, basically, sure. every hero became some sort of authority figure. The most popular TV shows were CSIs and detectives and... Where you could easily solvers. find out all these kinds of things and make and, the world a safer place. And yeah. yeah, FBI agents were always the heroes. CIA agents were the heroes. Even the likes of the Authority and the Justice League join shield or yeah. or argus and things like that nick fury is the the hero of the ultimates run exactly and even in the 2000 in the the marvel cinematic universe they're very much a kind of governmental authority keeping everyone safe organization agents of shield is glorifying government officers yeah but then now 
I think we're getting a bit of distance from that and people are going, wait a minute, and then everything is moving back away from from government authority figures being heroes. I think the one that kind of impressed me a lot with in that regard was Winter Soldier, when the Russo brothers made it, because it's all about Captain America's struggle to be part of this new cog, mm-hmm. or part of this new machine. And then Hydra, obviously. And then Hydra, obviously. I think Winter Soldier may be remembered as the best part of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in I 20 hope, years' time. I hope so. I think that would be the film, that would be the standout film. That's Hopefully not prophetic, although looking at the way the States is going. <laughs> but then it's amazing because I look back to my childhood and when I was a kid, it was never government agents, because I grew up in the 80s, Ben. Yeah. And in the 80s, we were coming off Vietnam. Ooh, and, where you couldn't be a big fan of right? that kind of thing. And yeah. all of the heroes were underground anti-establishment A-team they were especially yeah. They, the oh, the they police. were betrayed. Yeah, Michael yeah. Knight was was he wanted to solve crime, but he couldn't do it in the structure mm. of the government. So mm. they started their own organization. Dun, dun, exactly, dun. Airwolf. They stole. That was it. Yeah. They stole the helicopter the from the government because yeah. the government couldn't be trusted. And the government always wanted it back. Yeah, oh, the government man, was always Airwolf. chasing to try and get it back. The Pretender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a trained government agent, he, but he defected yeah, and escaped, yeah. Yeah. and it was a real subtle change. Maybe it wasn't that subtle, but it was just I didn't notice it because I'm a no, no. We, I'm you a think about it now, though. That's that's mm. how these things work. Nobody notices it at the time, unless it's very obvious. Mm. Um, just just on on that train of thought, has anyone actually tried the hail hydra test with Donald Trump yet? <laughs> has anyone actually gone up to him and just gone hail hydra, hail hydra. and then waited really tensely for him See. to be like, oh hail hydra? <laughs> yeah, someone should get on that. Yeah, it worked with Gary Shandling. He's dead now. He's dead now. Famously dead, Gary Shandling. Well, on uh, that high note, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, let's wrap up that slightly rambling. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, Steampunk, are you a fan? If if you are, don't get in touch with the podcast. We no, don't do. Hear. <laughs> Look, defend yourselves. Defend yourselves. I think. The, um, I think. Hold on, I forgot. I didn't get a chance to say one. I think that Steampunk is somewhat. Like ten percent unfairly maligned. I, I think you proved that with Sherlock Frankenstein. I think they're the nerds of the nerds. But to be they're, fair, if I agree with you on everything, we don't have much that's of a podcast. True. But you know, I'm you're not gonna catch me in steampunk, Ben, that's for sure. But I think they're the nerds of the nerds. They're the they're the, the easily picked on group of nerds. I don't understand how people who can wear superhero costumes can pick on people who wear Victorian costumes. Superheroes are cool. Anyway. Ben do the wrap up. Ask the anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We have an email address: Michael and Benjamin's Podcast at Gmail yeah. We sometimes get emails. We are on Reddit. If you feel like getting in touch with us on Reddit, we very often advertise our stuff there. No, not advertised. <laughs> we very often yeah. share like-minded community content that you can engage with. Got it. Very good. Um, we are. At, Mick and, at user Mick and Ben's podcast on that uh, you can find our page and all that on Reddit we are on Facebook as well please get in touch with us let us know what you think of the Victorian era do you mm-hmm. think uh, do you have any favourite Victorian stories do you have any favourite superheroes that have been influenced by it more importantly do you think Jared Leto is going to send uh, Tom Holland bloody dead mice in the post he I better hope not, not. No. Um, if Holland. not we'll have a little we'll have a little petition to have him removed Um <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that. that is the end of the podcast. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.